You are listening to the Holmes Avenue Baptist Church Podcast. To learn more about Holmes Avenue or how you can join the mission, visit us online at holmesavenue.com. All right, guys, if you uh, uh, have your Bibles on your phone or a flashlight or you can look at maybe the Pew Bible in front of you, we are going to be in 1 John chapter 4 today. 1 John chapter 4. And uh, we, uh, if you are new to things or you're trying to figure out where 1 John is, it's towards the back of your Bible just before you get to uh, the book of Revelation. And uh, as I said a moment ago during the prayer, we're, we're concluding this Christmas lights series. It's been our Advent series this season. And we've been looking, as you can see there on the stage, the, these four words of, of hope and peace and joy and today love. And in looking at these things, we're, we're looking at a way in which we can shine a light on our troubles, as the tagline of our series has stated. And it's in this time where we're looking at um, just the, the way in which we are to love because of the way we have been loved. Um, in our world today, it's, it's easy to feel the pressures of what society and even the media uh, can throw at us. On, on top of that, we have our own relationships and responsibilities that we are to focus on. And I ask you a question, have you ever felt so overwhelmed by all that's going on in your life that maybe you even feel alone? Maybe you even feel unloved. Maybe you even feel like an outcast. Maybe you feel rejected. Have you ever had that in your life? You may say, well, yeah, I'm actually feeling that right now for blank, whatever reason it may be. Sure, there's people around you who are present that that wanted to help you or that want to help you, but you're so burdened maybe by what you're going through that you just feel like you're alone, like you're unloved like you're maybe despised or rejected. Maybe in this Christmas season, this is maybe the first time, this Christmas time, that you've experienced life without that person that's been there every year. You really find it hard to be hopeful, to find peace, or to have joy because you miss them terribly. If you're being honest, things are just hard right now. And I want you to know that whether you're grieving a loss, whether you're feeling burdened, whether you're feeling unloved, there is one who does love you, who does care for you, who loves and cares for you because he created you. He knits you together perfectly in his image in your mother's womb, exactly as you were to be most importantly knows who you are and he's offered his love through his son for you. This leads me to our bottom line today. If you're taking notes, I know it may be hard to. You'll definitely get this in the email so you'll be able to have these. But the bottom line for the day is true love isn't determined by what you do. It's found in the one who died for you. True love isn't determined by what you do It's found in the one who died for you. We're gonna start out by looking at verses seven and eight. And the first point this morning is simply love incarnate. Love incarnate. Verse seven reads, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. 
And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. John, as he's writing this letter to his beloved, his brothers and sisters in Christ, he's writing to these readers and he's telling them to love one another because that is what believers are to do. It's been demonstrated to them. They've experienced it. We as Christians, if you are here and you have breath in your lungs and God has redeemed you and the Holy Spirit indwells you, you have experienced the love from God. And because you've experienced that love from God, you have been born of God. Let's break that down for a moment. Love from God. God demonstrated his love to us by what? By giving We always talk about it at Christmas time of giving and receiving gifts, right? God has given us the greatest gift possible and we have received it in Jesus. He gave his son in the incarnation, this holy begotten son, Jesus, and his sacrifice on the cross to pay the price for the sins of all mankind, past, present, and future. It is from God, but it's also of God. A person can only understand this truest form of love if they are born of God. This means that there was a point in their life where they realized the weight of their sin and their shame and they heard the gospel proclaimed and when they heard it, the Lord intervened and in that moment they repented of their sins, they confessed Jesus Christ as Lord. Now if you're here today or you're just wrestling with thoughts of feeling unloved or not knowing really what to say in regard to that, You may fall in this category that there is no love, pleasure, or thing that's going to fill the burning hole that is there. There are many people that walk around by us every single day that we encounter on a daily basis, that maybe even live in our houses, that have this burning hole in their soul because it hasn't been filled by the one in whom can redeem them, Jesus Christ. So they turn to things, things that they hope will fill that void, that will help in getting them through to the next day, that'll help them to maybe for a brief momentary time feel loved. And yet they go to those things and they immediately, after that temporary moment of pleasure, realize that that burning hole is still present. What is this love of God? It's not like the love that we have here. Here as we have on earth, it's very much emotion-based. And if we know anything about emotions, they go up and down, right? They go up, they go down. One minute you're happy, one minute you're sad. They fluctuate. But see, the love of God is different. The love of God is this agape love. What does that mean? It means that it is unconditional. It is found in God because that is who God is. He will not change the the love that he has towards his children. We know from scriptures that the scriptures tell us that the Lord has forgiven our sin as far as the east is from the west. He's redeemed us. This love of God is self-sacrificial. It seeks the highest good and wants the very best towards his people. Does that mean everything's going to be hunky-dory and present and, and, and wonderful in our lives every day? No. But it does mean that God is constant. It means that he's ever with us. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He loves us. 
And in that way in which he loves us, we are called as his people to love one another. That we are called to share that love to others. See, for the believer, there's this genuine change that happens. Which is the reason why John states elsewhere in the letter, and even in verse 12, which we'll see at the end, that God's love is being perfected in us. It is continually changing us for the better. We're we're pursuing the Lord in holiness. It's continually changing us, growing us in our sanctification. Look at verse 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. You may see that and say, well, wait, is John saying the same thing that he just said in verse 7? He said, I would say to you, yes, but he's saying it from the negative stance. What do you mean? Believers are marked by this love and they demonstrate this love towards others, but this isn't true for those who do not know Christ. Does this mean that a non believer can't be loving? I would say no but they haven't encountered this truest form of love that is from God. So although they may think that you may encounter a lost person and maybe there's that person in your workplace, right? You're like, man, he's a good person. He's nice. Yeah, he seems like he's loving, but he hasn't encountered this truest form of love that is from God. His redemption has not taken place because he doesn't know God. The Holy Spirit doesn't indwell him. He hasn't been radically changed by God. Therefore, he doesn't understand this form of love. However, we as followers of Christ who do know this love, who has been changed by this love, we can show that love to him or her, whomever it may be. You know, when you read those words there in verse eight and we see that it says, God is love, what comes to mind? What comes to mind? Three words don't carry the same meaning as something like maybe what you hear out in the culture today. Oh, well, love is love. It's a very different meaning. It's very different. Because that love is love is, again, based on earthly things, earthly emotions, things that fluctuate. We've seen it time and time again, have we not? We've even probably encountered it in our own lives. We're going about our daily life and we have a relationship with somebody and things are going really well, but one wrong thing happens and it's like you have this continual issue with each other now. You're butting heads. It's this problem. It fluctuates. It's based on emotion. But here when we see God as love, it's this major theological idea from these three words. They point to the essence and character of God. They describe who he is. See, God's love is demonstrated that all of the activity of God is done in his love. In creation, in discipline towards his people when we're sinning against him, in his justice, and even in his wrath. Because God is love. Because God is holy. God is worthy. It's also through this love of God that we are able to do what we may not want to do. What do you mean, Brian? You ever have that person that is just unlovable? They just irk you, they drive you nuts. We're called to love those people despite how they may present themselves. 
despite how they may treat us. A person just seems to be negative all the time. Things are just wrong. We've all been there. But even for us, we may be there now, right? There may be that person right now we can think of in this moment. However, let me encourage you with something and challenge you with something, brothers and sisters. Challenging myself. We too were enemies of God. We too sinned against God. We too were unlovable, but God, being rich in his mercy because of the great love he had for us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, we've been saved. Ephesians 2. Let's take this gospel truth and let's dive a little deeper as we look into our next point. Not only is love incarnate, number two, love sacrificed. Love sacrificed. Verse nine reads, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. What a verse. See, it's here in this verse that John is telling us that the love of God was made manifest. It was made visible and known among us. How? Through the sending of Jesus into the world. Why? So that we may have eternal life through him for all who repent and believe. There's something important that I want to point out from a word that we can probably very easily, as we read that verse, breeze over. Because it's just a common word that we say. Again, in verse 9, it says, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent. God sent his only son into the world. When we read that God sent his only son into the world, it encompasses all of the work of Jesus. How are you getting that from a four-letter word called sent, Brian? Well, we think about what's happened throughout the Gospels, what we read in the Scriptures of Jesus. We read of these prophecies that are to come of him and what he will do, and then we see when he shows up what happens. It includes the incarnation of Jesus, the God-man born of the Virgin Mary. He has come. He's the reason we celebrate Christmas. Yet the birth of Jesus is just the beginning why? It's through this birth that we see what comes after. How it is love sacrificed. The sinless life lived. The close friends betrayal. The illegal trial after false allegations. The gruesome flogging. The nailing of him on the cross of Calvary. The wrath of God poured out on Jesus. The cry out of Jesus from the cross after going through all of that. It is finished in the giving up of his life. It is the resurrection from the dead. It is the ascension to heaven. It is the sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding on behalf of all the saints until the day he returns. And it's that imminent return where he comes to conquer and reign for all eternity. That is what God has done through the sending of his Son. And it is because of Jesus being God's only Son 
that all who repent and believe are adopted into the family of God because of that only son coming and doing what he has done. What a precious gift that is for us to receive. In verse 10, John says, and this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. See, when it comes to God's love for us and our love for God, none of us made the first move. God made the first move. That's incredible to think about because each and every one of us on our best day can give nothing but mere filthy rags to God. Our sin and our shame makes us detestable. Yet God still made the first move. Isn't that incredible? So incredible to think of. There's nothing that could be done by you or I to make things more appealing to him. Nothing that we could do in our behavior. Nothing that we could do to make everything look right. Because of two things, our sin and the fact that God made the first move. We're depraved. We need God to intervene and praise God, he does. Here in verse 10, we see that sent word again, but John also follows it up with this theological word, propitiation. You've heard it said already through this series. It's propitiation. This satisfying the wrath against sin. Jesus, as Zach so elegantly put it last week, if you did not get the chance to hear that, you need to go back and listen to that message. Jesus, our great high priest, He comes and he satisfies that wrath of God in our place on Calvary's cross. Greater love have none than this, that man would lay down his life for his friends. Jesus has laid down his life for us. Being his people, we are his friends. We are brought in, we are adopted as sons and daughters. It is because of that sacrifice. It's love sacrificed. If we understand how love is exemplified to us through Jesus, then we must practice this continually. Which leads me to the last point, love practiced. Love practiced. Verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. He again refers to his brothers and sisters, the Christ followers there, and makes it clear, if this is true, if God loved us, I would dare say, since God loved us, we also ought to love one another. There's another word that we'll miss quickly if we don't look at it in the passage. We'll read through it so quickly. If God so loved us, we ought to love one another. We ought to to love one another. See that word ought there, it points to the fact that it is an obligation. It is something that the Christ follower is commanded to do. 
Since God has done this through Jesus, we are obligated to love one another. Since Jesus willingly laid down his life for us despite our sin and shame, then we must be obedient to live our lives on mission, loving brothers and sisters in Christ as God has loved us. And yet we also must demonstrate this to the world that is around us. A world that is broken. A world that is hurting. A world that has no hope, peace, joy, or love. We can see it every waking moment of the day. We live in a broken world. We live in a world that desperately needs Jesus. Do you recall the events of the Last Supper? Right before Jesus is betrayed, goes through that illegal trial, and then is crucified? What happens on that night? with the disciples. He sits there with them around the table. He shares a meal with them. He even allows the one who betrays him, Judas, to eat at the table, although he knew it was about to take place. That's love in and of itself. He washed their feet. And then he tells the disciples this from John chapter 13, 34 through 35. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus is telling them clearly, if you love each other, you will tell this world about me through the actions you display. It's this way of we illuminate in the darkness the brokenness of the world as we love one another and we love those that are around us. We proclaim and demonstrate the gospel. We point people back to Jesus. We look at verse 12 and it says, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Here again, we point to that reality of love practiced. Says that no one has ever seen God. We know that from the scriptures. You may recall back in Exodus 33, God tells Moses that no one can see my face and live. So what does he do? He hides Moses' face as he walks by. And then when Moses sees, he sees the back of the Lord. In, In Paul's writing in 1 Timothy, he references the invisible God. But why would John include that here? Why is it so fitting for John to put that here in this verse? Well, when we were doing as we ought to do, as we saw in verse 11, then that love to others is a direct evidence that God is real. That God is who he says he is. Why? Because one, God the Holy Spirit literally indwells us, Christians, He indwells us. And all believers in that moment of their salvation, the the Holy Spirit comes inside of us. And in his commentary on 1 John, I love how David Allen puts this. When the world observes Christians loving unconditionally as Jesus loved, they will be open to the gospel. 
The only God in Jesus that most people will ever see is the one they see in you. Let that sink in for a moment. Those of us that maybe have lived here in Charleston our whole lives or in the Charleston area or even here in the South, we may hear that and we may think, well, is that, is that for real though? Like, like there's gotta be, there's plenty of people around that know Jesus or that have heard of Jesus at least. And no, this city, this area is increasingly growing more and more lost There are 30 some odd people moving to this area every single day. And with that, they come in and they have no understanding of who Jesus is or what he has done. So it could very well be that you in the workplace where you are, you in the house on your street where you are, you in the grocery line where you are, you at your favorite restaurant where you go and you get to know that waiter or that waitress, you could be the only representation of Jesus that they see through your words and through your love demonstrated or lack thereof. So in this Christmas season, there may be these people in our life that are around us, that feel neglected, that feel ostracized, they feel unloved. We may be the only love that they get to experience in this season. Our love demonstrated to those around us could be the only time they see the Father's love on display. And that love demonstrated could be the change agent that brings them to know the hope, peace, joy, and love that God provides to all who repent and believe in Jesus. So I'll end by asking you this question. Have you experienced this love of the Father? If your answer is yes, I say praise God. But then I ask, not what you will do this week, not what you will do this month, not what you will do by Christmas. What will you do today to demonstrate that love to those who are around you? If your answer is no, I hope you've seen the love of God on display, even with the power out, even as we're around each other in a more close-knit environment, I hope you see the love of God on display through his people. There's a way to no longer necessarily feel neglected and ostracized because God gave his only son so that your sins could be forgiven if you would repent and believe. Which brings me again to the bottom line. True love isn't determined by what we do. I would even say by who we are. It's found in the one who died for you. Will you pray with me? Father, you are so good, Lord. And Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you have paid the price for us. Lord, despite our sin and shame, Lord, you have come. What began in the prophecies led to 
the reality of your coming, which led ultimately, Lord, to the birth, the cross, and the resurrection. Lord, we thank you for this Christmas season. We can't get to the cross or the resurrection without the birth. And God, we thank you, Lord, that you saw fit to provide redemption for us despite our sin and shame by sending Jesus to be the propitiation for our sins. We can't thank you enough for that, Father. We thank you, love, for, Lord, for that love that you have shown to us. Lord, I pray that within this building right now, those that are listening, or maybe even those that may hear about this at some other point, reading notes or whatever, Lord, that maybe do feel unloved, that maybe do feel lonely. Lord, that you would demonstrate your love to them through your people. May we today, Lord, make much of your name and demonstrate that love to those who are around us in our lives. Lord, we love you, we bless you, and we give you these next few moments in Jesus' name. Amen.